Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 4 of Genesis chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 3 and 4. And the waters return from off the earth continually, and after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Now, the Lord is being very precise. He, uh, without any question, wants the reader to know, he wants his people to know that the outpouring of his wrath that destroyed the first earth that is a picture of the final judgment of the world that that would come at the end of time where we're living. God wants us to know that it would be accomplished in the space of 150 days. He actually has taken great care to let us know precise details concerning the timing for the flood. We know the day it began, 17th day of the second month, and the time in which the waters assuaged. Remember that word back in verse 1? That means they were appeased or pacified. That has to do with the wrath that has been completed or poured out. And now the waters are stopped and, and restrained and returned and abated. All language to describe the waters of the flood that are no longer coming down from heaven or rising up from the fountains below, no longer arising, no longer are being sent forth to destroy. Everyone to be destroyed has already been destroyed by the point of 150 days. And God again tells us the flood began on the 17th day of the second month, and he tells us in verse 4 that the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day. 17th day of the second until 17th day of the seven. seventh is uh, even five-month period. And we saw in our last study, when we went to Revelation chapter 9, that the Bible speaks of Judgment Day, the final three woes, that initially, as Revelation chapter 9 begins to describe that terrible final judgment of mankind, that it is a time of five months of torment, and the torment that's in view is designed to hurt men for five months. And the word hurt is the same word as unjust in Revelation 22, verse 11. And and there it has to do with one's spiritual condition 
of being fixed in an unrighteous state. And that is the hurt that will take place over the course of five months. And the five months has to do with the entire duration of Judgment Day. And we know that Judgment Day began on May 21, 2011. Revelation chapter 8 spoke of the judgment on the third part, and that related to the 23-year Great Tribulation period, but then it transitioned to the final judgment of the entire world, the whole kingdom of Satan, and we saw that the sun was darkened, and that's language that matches what takes place immediately after the tribulation, and and May 21, 2011 had the underlying Hebrew calendar date of the 17th day of the second month, which began the 150-day period, five months, that we read about in the book of Genesis, in which all, with the breath of life, all the enemies of the kingdom of God were wiped out, destroyed. And so uh, the language of Revelation 9 picks that up, Five months, five months of destruction in which men are hurt. They will be unjust throughout, and that will be their final condition. There will be no change in their condition because there is no more salvation. Well, let's take a look now at verse 4 of Genesis 8. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. The ark itself is a type and a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, it's Christ and his people within the eight souls, even the animals typifying the people of God. And therefore, the ark really is a picture of the kingdom of of heaven, the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus, and all that are within. And, and so when it says the ark rested, that's a very telling statement, or a very telling word, rested. We, we know what it means historically. The ark had been sailing the seas that the world had become. And it was just sailing along day after day for 150 days. And there would have been no land that would have been in view. Everything was submerged. The waters were 15 cubits above the highest mountain. But then God worked it out. He arranged things so that once 150 days was reached, once five months had passed, then the ark would rest. Notice God tells us it rested the seventh month, 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. So at that point, somehow the lower level of the ark, most of the ark would have been above water, but a portion of the ark would have been below the water, and it came in contact with the mountain tops. It had to be the mountain tops of Ararat, and it rested. It ceased to sail. 
or to continue its voyage, it set. It came to a stop, to a rest upon these mountains. And we wonder why. Why does God tell us this? At this point, why does he stress 150 days, five months, the ark came to a rest. It rested on these mountains. Well, we know mountains in the Bible have to do with kingdoms. But we'll look at that a little later. Let's look at the word rest first, or rested, which is 5117 in the Hebrew of Strong's Concordance. And this is the same word that we find in the book of Esther. In Esther chapter 9, it says in verse 21, to establish this among them, Mordecai is writing these things, that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. Now this is speaking of the days of Purim. Remember in the book of Esther, initially Haman planned to destroy the Jews But then his plot was uh, uncovered as Queen Esther besought the king and Haman was hanged many months ago. But still, um, that date stood because the law of the Medes and the Persians could not change. So Esther further besought the king that something might be done. And the king gave another law that permitted the Jews to defend themselves against their enemies. And and so instead of being slain, the Jews killed their enemies at the time of Purim. And that's why it says in verse 22, is the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies. Because all the enemies of the Jews, tens of thousands of them, were slain throughout the kingdom of King Ahasuerus. Also, this word... Rested is found in Nehemiah chapter 9 and beginning in verse 27. It says, Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee. You see what God is saying? The Israelites, this is the time of the judges, they had enemies all around that troubled them and vexed them. And God sent saviors. He sent judges. And we read in the book of Judges, after a judge would fulfill his role as judge and deliver his people, we read a statement, the land had rest. Well, here it says that the Savior saved them out of the hand of their enemies, but after they had rest. You see, the 
being delivered out of the hand of the enemies is equated to rest, exactly as it was with the statement in Esther. They were delivered from their enemies, so the Jews rested from them. Now let's go to another place in Second Chronicles 20, where we find King Jehoshaphat and the army of Judah goes forth to battle against an enormous host, but God fights for them, and when they come to the place of the battle, they find that all their enemies are, are already dead. They've killed one another. It says in Second Chronicles 20, 24, And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away, and they were three days in gathering of the spoil it was so much. Well, then, let's go down to verse um, 29 of Second Chronicles 20. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that Jehovah fought against the enemies of Israel, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. You see, the same ingredients. All the enemies are slain, all is quiet, and the people of God have rest. It indicates that which occurs after a great victory, after being saved, as it said in Nehemiah, that the Savior saved them, and they had rest. But, of course, it Historically, they despised that rest and would go astray, and then God would raise up another enemy. But but as far as this word is concerned, can we see how it applies here in Genesis chapter 8? Where are all the enemies of God and of his kingdom? Well, all the enemies of God and his kingdom, as uh, we've come to the 150-day point of the flood, have all been defeated. They are all compacted under enormous amounts of water and rock and mud, and they've been destroyed. They've been wiped out. It is an enormous victory for God and his kingdom, and so it's no surprise that we read in the ark, the ark, the Lord Jesus Christ and all within him, which really is the kingdom of God. The ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month. After five months, God finished slaying his enemies and there was rest. Now we can see how that relates to Judgment Day that began on the 17th day of the second month, May 21, 2011, and continues for a figurative five months duration and then concludes with the final destruction of all the enemies of the kingdom of God in all the world 
they're wiped out forevermore, completely annihilated, then God brings his people to rest. The kingdom of God rests from battle, rests from waging war and and the destruction of all of its enemies. Now there is just peace and joy and and good blessings forevermore for all those that God has saved. And and so I think that's what we can understand by this language. The ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Now, it's, you know, more than a coincidence. Of course, it's no coincidence at all. Obviously, it's the will of God. God arranged for the ark on that particular day, not 10 days earlier or 10 days later, but on the 150th day, on the the day that marked the fifth month, God arranged for the ark to rest and in order to paint that picture of victory over enemies, but also God is the one that arranged that the ark would come to a rest upon this particular mountain or these particular mountains of Ararat. Could the Lord have, well, first of all, if things were just happenstance, if God was not in control of all events, the the ark uh, could have been uh, hundreds of miles away from the nearest mountain beneath and would not have come to rest at all. So, But God arranged for the ark to be at that location when its lower hull would come to rest upon these mountains and would no longer move. It would no longer sail. It was no longer necessary to do that. And God's the one who arranged that, but he could have selected another mountain. There, There is many other mountains God could have picked, which makes us wonder why did God choose the mountains of Ararat? What is the purpose behind that? Why this particular mountain or these particular mountains? Why Ararat? And so we we need to look into that. We need to wonder about that and to look up this word Ararat and it's number 780 in the concordance in the Hebrew. And this name Ararat is found four times in the Old Testament. Twice it's translated as Ararat. And the other two times it's translated as Armenia, the, the country of Armenia. For instance, in Second Kings chapter 19, And the last two verses, 36 and 37, it says, So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, that Adrammelech and Sherezer his sons smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. 
and Ezarhaddon his son reigned in his stead. And the second time is the parallel account in Isaiah chapter 37 to what we just read there in 2 Kings 19. In Isaiah 37, we'll begin in verse 36 to the end of the chapter. Then the angel of Jehovah went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, and Adremelech and Sherezer his son smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. And Ezerhaddon his son reigned in his stead. Well, Armenia is the identical word to Ararat. We could read that they escaped into the land of Ararat. It's the same Hebrew word. But we wonder, what is the spiritual picture in both of these verses that I just read in Second Kings and in Isaiah? Well, we know this, that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is a type of Satan because he came against Samaria and then he came against Jerusalem, and we also know that the Assyrian army would be a a figure of the emissaries of Satan or his kingdom that assault the kingdom of God, as Jerusalem was a type of the kingdom of God, and it was it was the good Jerusalem ruled over by King Hezekiah, a true king, a true man. And so God defended Jerusalem, and that would be a picture of Jerusalem above. And the king of Assyria, again, a type of Satan with his kingdom, his army, coming against the kingdom of God. And then what happens? God smites the Assyrians, 185,000 of them. And 185,000 is five, if broken down, Five times 37, number five relates to the atonement, 37 is a number for judgment, and a thousand, or ten times ten times ten. Completeness, it's the complete judgment of God against the kingdom of Satan, but the king of Assyria escapes. Well, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He goes back to his house of his God, and then two of his sons kill him with a sword, and that would be a picture of Satan being smitten. His army has been destroyed, and then two of his own sons kill him. It it really is a vivid picture of Judgment Day, as the 185,000 that number indicates, and then the two sons that slew Satan, or figuratively slew the king of Assyria, type of Satan, escape to the land of Armenia. And to escape means you find a place of refuge or rest. Rest. You see, in Judgment Day, what does God do to Satan and his kingdom? He destroys it. He slays Satan. And 
Finally, it comes to a rest in Ararat, in the mountains of Ararat. But we, we actually have some confirmation that we're understanding this correctly as far as um, the Armenia references. When we go to Jeremiah chapter 51, and Jeremiah 51 is a chapter describing the fall of Babylon and the king of Babylon, again, just like Assyria and its king, represent Satan and his kingdom. And God used them, utilized Satan to bring judgment on the corporate church. But then, once the judgment was complete, the great tribulation finished, God turned around and judged Satan and his kingdom of Babylon. Well, it says in Jeremiah 51, verse 25, referring to Babylon, Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain, saith Jehovah, which destroyeth all the earth. And I will stretch out mine hand upon thee, and roll thee down from the rocks, and will make thee a burnt mountain. And we saw when, when we discussed when all the mountains were under water, indicating the kingdom of Satan, all of his kingdoms, all of his various periods of rule have now come under the wrath of God. Well, that's why Babylon is said to be a destroying mountain that's a burnt mountain. It's come under the wrath of God. Then it says in verse 27 of Jeremiah 51, Set ye up a standard in the land. Blow the trumpet among the nations. Prepare the nations against her. That's against Babylon. Call together against her the kingdoms of Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz. Appoint a captain against her. Cause the horses to come up as the rough caterpillars. Prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, the captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. Notice that God calls against Babylon the kingdoms. Now, what do mountains represent in the Bible? Kingdoms. The ark came to rest upon the mountains of Ararat, or the kingdoms of Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz. Three uh, nations, I suppose, are mentioned to indicate the purpose of God, and appoint a, a captain against her, cause the horses to come up as the rough caterpillars. Just consider the language in Revelation 9 of the locusts that have the form of horses. It's God's elect. God's elect are the nations of them which are saved. And that's what these kingdoms of Ararat and Minian Ashkenaz and also the uh, kings of the Medes are pointing to. It is the judgment against Babylon or against the kingdom of Satan. And therefore, when we read in Genesis 8, the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the kingdoms of Ararat, the enemies of Babylon, the kingdom of God, typified by Ararat, Minian, Ashkenaz, and the Medes. The, the ark comes to a rest. God has accomplished his fury. He is done 
pouring it out upon the wicked kingdom of Satan, of Babylon or Assyria and, and, and all the other figures that are used. It, it is completed. Final judgment has been brought upon the enemies of the kingdom of heaven because five months have elapsed. Five months have been completed and now the ark rests victoriously, gloriously, and all of God's elect are resting in their salvation. And again, at that point, God will turn his attention to the new heaven and the new earth. And I think that's one of the reasons why from this point, as we continue on in Genesis 8, the new earth begins to appear. Of course, it's the same old earth, just the the water's coming off it, but it typifies, and, and the Bible really does identify it as a second earth, and therefore it typifies the new heaven and the new earth. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.